0: Let me review. What were the first six messages about? Here are the titles of the first six. Number one, we saw that church is glorious. Two, churches under authority. Three, churches for fellowship. Four, church, gathered church in particular now, is for God first, believers second, non believers then after that. Next church is for serving, then church is holy, that was last week. Now today, this is a terrible title, but here it is anyway. I tried all kinds of words. I like this one the best. Church is identifiable. In other words, what we're doing today is a very time-proven thing. We're identifying what are the marks of a church. There are marks. They're identifiable. You can figure out, is that a church or is that not a church? That's what we're doing today. Church is identifiable, the marks of a church. So to get us going in this, let's think about, uh, can you identify for me a football game? Could you look at something and tell me, was that a football game or not? Yes, I think you could. If somebody invited you to go to a football game and you went and there was no football and no game and no shoulder pads and no helmets, no people running into each other, when you go home, would you say, that was a great football game? No, you would be able to identify, that wasn't even a football game. What if somebody said, I wanna take you to my favorite restaurant, and you went with them to the restaurant, there was no food. And there was nothing to drink. When you go home, when you say that's a fabulous restaurant, now you say that was no restaurant. You can identify simple marks of a restaurant: food and drink, something to drink. All right. So uh, you can also identify whether it's a healthy restaurant. Maybe they have food, but it was pathetic. Maybe they had food, but it was just a few little crumbs of some bread and a little glass of water that was stale and warm. Um, Maybe they had some food, but it wasn't up to par. It wasn't up to snuff. You can identify the marks of a restaurant. You can identify the marks of a football game. And in the same way, you can, and Christians for a long time have, identified the marks of a church. At the end of this sermon, I want you to be able to identify the marks of a church. It's going to be pretty easy. Fret not. So, church is identifiable the the first people we know of that really started thinking about this and talking about and writing about how do we identify a, a true church were the great reformers of the 1500s most notably Martin Luther and John Calvin they were reformers they were reforming a very corrupted church a very broken church, a very subpar, a very non-biblical church. And so they were trying to reform the church and said so they were looking to scripture and asking the question, what does the true church need to look like? What are the marks? What can we identify if we're going to have a faithful church? It needs to have these things. Calvin and Luther both, once in one in Germany, one over in Geneva, they both identified the same two marks. They had two marks of a church. Their first mark Put out in different terminology in various times, but they basically said the first mark of a faithful church is a faithful ministry, a faithful preaching, a faithful teaching of the word of God. I'm going to show you a number of lists today of people's marks of the church. That's always number one. That's always front and center. What is the first mark of a church? Martin Luther and John Calvin, the great reformers said, it is the faithful ministry of the word of God. What is the second mark of a faithful church? And they said it is, it is the right ministry of the ordinances or they might have called them the sacraments. If you're a highfalutin church, you use the term sacraments. If you're Baptist like us, you use the word ordinances. Things that Christ ordained: baptism and communion. And Calvin and Luther said those are the two marks. If you have those things present, you can say that's a church. There might be levels of how faithful it is, even within those things. Preaching might be better, preaching might be worse. But if they have a faithful exposition of the Word of God and they administer communion and they baptize believers—well, we're Baptists; we baptize believers—then they would say those those are the marks of a faithful church after their time, soon after their time, as the ones who followed them who were also reformers came along, those reformers added a third mark of a faithful church. They said Calvin and Luther had it right. First is the preaching, second is the ordinances, but third they added is the practice of church discipline. The practice of church discipline. Let me give an example. We're going over to the, the, the Netherlands. And in 1561, the people there, the believers there, wrote what is called the Belgic Confession, a famous document. And they write about this, quote, here it is, the the marks by which the true church is known are these. If the pure doctrine of the gospel was preached therein, if she maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ, If church discipline is exercised in punishing of sin, in short, if all things are managed according to the pure word of God, all things contrary thereto rejected, and Jesus Christ acknowledged as the only head of the church, hereby the true church may certainly be known from which no man has a right to separate himself. That's the Belgic Confession, Article 29. So for a long time, believers have said, there are really three marks of the church and there they were in the Belgic Confession. Well, time goes by and along came some other people and said, no, we actually think there are five marks and the five marks got very popular. So let me expose you to them. We're doing some church history. You okay with a little church history? Church history is a quality control over our own doctrine. If we think we see something in the word of God, it behooves us to look, did anybody before me ever see this? Am I the first guy to ever find this? That is probably wrong. It's probably bogus, probably suspect. So it's quality control. Let's look and see what great believers back through time have found. And a lot of them said, we, we see five marks of a faithful and a healthy church. Here they are, as one, one group put them out. They identified them as, one, the biblical, biblical preaching and sound doctrine. Two, biblical administration of the sacraments. Three, biblical administration of church discipline. But then they added four, biblical leadership. And five, biblical worship. So now, going down through church history, you have a lot of lists that have those five things. If you have those five things, you need all five of them to have a biblical church or at least a healthy church. More recently, our friends down in Washington DC at Nine Marks, you hear that? Nine Marks, what's that? about? What do they name that Nine Marks? They have Nine Marks. If Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000 years, we'll be up to 24 marks. So, you know, we just keep adding to the list. But they have nine marks of a faithful church. Let me tell you what they are. They're really great. I love their list also. They put, number one, expositional preaching. Number two, biblical theology. Earlier on, they called that a sound theological system. Number three, a biblical understanding of the gospel. Number four, a biblical understanding of conversion. Five, a biblical understanding of evangelism, how to do it and not do it, how to recognize a convert and not a convert. Number six, a biblical understanding of membership, how should believers be committed to and living together in their local church. Number seven, biblical church discipline. Number eight, the promotion of discipleship and growth. By that, they mean helping one another grow in Christ. That's a mark of a healthy church. And number nine, a biblical understanding of leadership. It's interesting. They don't list the sacraments. I'm like, what's up, Mark Dever, what's up, Jonathan Lehman, what happened to the sacraments? Maybe they tucked them under membership, I don't know, I didn't take the time to try to find out. But so there were, there were two, then there were three, then there were five, now we're up to nine. The sermon today is about the three. All that was introduction, now we're getting into the main body of the thing. Today we're looking at the three. What is the first of those? It is biblical preaching. We're gonna spend the most time on this one, so fret not, you're looking at your watch, he's going long on this one. Yeah, that's the plan, we're taking less time on the other two. Today we're looking at first biblical preaching, which is first on every, every, everybody's list. Ask anybody anywhere in all of church history who has a list, what are the marks of a true and a faithful church, and biblical preaching, expository ministry of the word of God, something along that order, is first on their list expository preaching that actually involves the people with opening the text, reading it, explaining the meaning, applying it to our lives in a practical way, that everybody who makes a list has said that's the first and most important mark of a faithful ministry. So let's say your job transfers you and you're no longer going to be in this area and all of a sudden they're going to pay you four times as much. You can't say no if you move to Boca Raton. And you don't like cold winters anyway. So you say, send me to Boca. So you're looking for a church in Boca. You can probably find some churches with these marks in Boca. Don't move somewhere like we're going to move to West Virginia where there's nothing. Well, what church are you hoping to find over there? Anyway, all right. So... So move where you know there's a good likelihood. Maybe you've already looked ahead, we found the church, it's there, we love it, we're gonna move there. Anyway, let's say they're moving you to Boca. The first thing you look at, you look on their website, probably the first thing is you read their doctrinal statement, right? Amen? What do they believe in that place? And then you click on like, I wanna hear a sermon. And what are you looking for? Is there a faithful expository ministry of the word of God, week in, week out, week in, week out? Are they feeding the sheep as Christ commanded? Are they feeding them on the good word of God? I wanna be in that church. That's the one I'll go to in Boca, to the glory of God and the good of my soul. So the first thing you look for, What are the first things most people look for? I'll tell you what they are, we know this. People have done the homework, and the main thing most people judge the church by is, do I like the music? Do I like the music? Well, I hope you like the music, but I'll tell you what, I could put up with a cappella singing by people who can't sing, if we have a faithful ministry of the word of God. The second thing people go to a church for is the youth group. I can understand that, you're raising your kids. You want all the help you can get. I can understand that. This day in this culture and any day in any culture. But my friends, the Christians who have studied the word of God and asked themselves the question, what comes first? Have all, all, all of them put on their list a faithful public preaching and teaching of the word of God. And so why am I preaching this to you? I want that to be first on your list. Yes, I want that for you. We want this for Cornerstone Church. We're shaping and forming. We're aligning. What kind of people are we? What kind of church are we? What are we together committed to? What are we expecting this church to do? And there's number one on all of our list, I pray, I hope. I hope all of you are saying what I want on Sunday is primarily, there are other things I want, but especially I want the word of God opened up, faithfully taught and applied to my soul and to my wife's soul and my children's soul and my grandchildren's souls. So that's the first mark. You say, well, where do you get that scripture? You're telling us about opening up scripture and you're not opening up scripture. You're doing church history. I know I feel a little self-conscious about that. Let's do some scripture. Where do we get this in scripture? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're in the pastoral epistles. They tell a pastor how to do church. 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 14, Paul writes to Timothy, he's down in Ephesus doing pastoral ministry. And Paul says, Until I come, till I get there, I'm coming, but I'm not there yet. So till I get there, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Now, Paul, this is prime time Paul has to tell Timothy what to do as a pastor in Ephesus. There are a lot of things Timothy could do. He could really hone his storytelling skills. He could learn more life tips and pop psychology because people would be interested in that and they would come. No, Paul tells them, here's what I want you to devote yourself to the public, get them together, read the word of God to them, explain the meaning, teach the doctrines that are in the text, and then apply it. Exhort them to be doers and not just hearers of the word. Timothy, do that till I get there. Week in and week out, those are your orders. That's what I'm telling you as a pastor to do. Do not neglect the gift that you have. Keep yourself in that, Timothy. Again, first Timothy four sixteen. What's the first thing we want in a church? Paul tells Timothy as a pastor, keep a close watch on yourself, that's good advice, and on the teaching. Keep close watch on the teaching. Persist in this. I'm really being careful about, I'm really watching what I'm teaching the people of God from the word of God. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why do we want to be faithful in ministering the word of God? Because it saves people. You'll save yourself. And only Jesus can save you. Yeah, Paul knew that. You'll save yourself and your hearers. If I'm looking for a church, I want a church where they're doing that. Again, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Do your best. There are different levels of best among ministers of the word of God, right? Because there are different levels of gifts. So one guy's left is like on a scale of 1 to 10. He's, his best is a 4. You're probably, I was saying, Heartland, you're a 3.7. I'd be gratified, all right? I'll take it. But do whatever your best is, do your best to present yourself to God. Primarily, the minister is ministering for the approval of God, not the approval of the people, the approval of God. You want to minister with the last day in view. At the last day, will Jesus look at me in my years of ministry and say, well done, good and faithful servant, or really say, not so good (laughs) so do your do your best to present yourself to God as one approved approved by God and approved by people a worker who has no need to be ashamed well I was ashamed of that sermon I have to try and work harder next week next week well I was ashamed of that one too I got distracted played a lot of golf nothing wrong with golf and have to try harder next week No, you want to be a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Well, who would that worker be? What's he look like? What's the main thing? Rightly handling the word of truth. You can wrongly handle the word of truth, and you can rightly handle the word. Timothy, do you want to present yourself to God approved? Do you want to have nothing to be ashamed of? Then you must learn to rightly handle the word of truth. Paul's speaking to a pastor of the great Ephesian church, and the main thing he's telling him is the main thing on the list, and that is a faithful expository ministry of the word of God. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So this is, what, this is what they did, and we get it from passages like this. Let me give you one more passage, probably the best one. It was our opening reading. We'll look at it again, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Notice how Paul heaps up terms and pressure on Timothy. I charge you. He doesn't just say, well, it would be a good idea if you. No, I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Wow, whatever's coming must be serious. That's quite a heaped-up charge. What's the charge? Preach the word. This is central to any church. This is central to any pastor who's the responsible one to do the preaching, when should I do it? I live in a time, some pastor might say, I live in a time when, where people won't come for that. They'll only come for stories. They'll only come for pop psychology. They'll only come for a series on movies in the summer. They'll only come for, you know, whatever. He says, no, let me tell you when you should do that. Be ready in season. So sometimes the word is in season and they're coming, man, if the word is hot and they're showing up. And be ready out of season. doesn't matter if it's in season or out. You keep doing the same thing. Don't let the prevailing winds blow you left or right. You've got to stay right at this. In season or out of season, doesn't matter. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. What does it mean? Be patient doing that. Keep doing that. Don't get tired of doing that and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That was true in Paul's day. There were times like that. True in every day like that. Certainly true in our day like that. But having itching ears reminds me of our last dog. He was a 90-pound Labrador retriever. We loved him. His name was Boaz. He died about 16 years ago. But, man, he loved it when you took your knuckle and stuck it in his ear and Wiggled it around. He'd like push that thing out there and he'd groan. And there are people like that Tickle my ears, pastor. Tell me some fun stories. Give me some interesting life tips. Put a little Bible verse in there every now and then so it seems like I'm really getting the word of God. They'll accumulate for themselves, teachers, to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, again and again and again, passage after passage, there could be lots more. What's front and central on a pastor's radar is I got to give my people the word. So what should be front and center for you on your radar? He better give me the word. When I go to church, I better get lots of the word. I better be staggering under the the, the pressure of the word and the power of the word. I want to be belching and burping when I go, I got so much word ingested. I'm just burping word. Burping word Bible church. That wouldn't work too good, would it? All right. But we want that. That's the first mark on everybody's list what's the what's the mark of a faithful church it's the Faithful Ministry of the Word, this was so important to the reformers that they actually started they actually started changing the architecture or the furnishings inside the rooms of assembly. What did they do i 'm about to show you some pictures, not yet, but what they did is they rearranged things so that the very furnishings of the room would would proclaim we put the word front and center. We put the word high above everything else. Let me show you two pictures. These are current church buildings, but the first one is inside a church of rome where's the pulpit it's over there what's front and center the altar where we're going to offer up the host that's, that's what the reformers found in their churches when they first figured out what the gospel is, and they were saved, and they start preaching the word. And then they said, well, wait, we need to change some things in our building. Now I'm going to take you to R.C. Sproul's church. He's in heaven now, but he, he had a lot to say in the design of this place. And here it is, next picture. What did they put in the center? How big is it? That thing is huge. <laughs> I'm not trying to start anything. I'm quite happy with what we got right here. But you have have to go behind that thing and walk up steps to get there. Later in life, when he couldn't do the steps, they put a nice little podium down in front and he'd stand down there and he'd do his preaching and then he died and was preaching no more. But this is what the reformers did. They started putting up big pulpits in the center of the building. Why? Because they wanted that to say, this is the first mark of a faithful church. We want the building to proclaim it. We want the building itself to teach you what goes front and center, the very furnishings in the room. So that's the first mark of a church. Now. Some of you might have noticed that recently I've been letting out a little bit uh, on some people who left and don't imagine you know which ones I'm talking about because you probably don't, but but uh, I'm not going to keep doing this too long, but they're going to sneak out again in my sermon today, and I just want to tell you right now, it was interesting and noteworthy that one young couple who were pretty prominent in this church. A couple years ago they left and they told me they were leaving and among other things they wanted a church where preaching was not at the center. They wanted the Eucharist at the center and less emphasis on preaching and doctrine. Why? So you can believe any false doctrine you want to and it's going to be okay because they had some false doctrines. That happened right here. Had another man, prominent man in our church. He left. He told me I want a church with more liturgy, less sermon. I know where he went. I've looked at their services many times. He got it. More liturgy, less sermon. If anything, I hope you would be saying, I want to eat more. Cha- I mean, I want to have more sermon. I want to have longer sermons. We like 40 minutes. We're going to stay right about 40 minutes. So I'm not trying to start something there. Yeah. Whew. Thought he was going to get on the tear. We're going to build a huge pulpit. He's going to preach for two hours now. No. Yeah. you all Like throwing meat to the dog. But the great leaders of the Protestant Reformation said, how do we identify a church? What does the word of God lead us to say? And they all said, and ever since then, anybody with a list says, the front and center thing is a faithful ministry of the word of God. Interesting twist. John Calvin said, let's go a little farther. He said that in a true church, a further dimension of this first mark is that the word must also be faithfully heard and received So he said we can expand on the first mark. It's not only faithful ministry, it's faithful reception of the ministry. Well, that's good. This is what we want in our church. We want faithful preaching from up front. We want faithful hearing and receiving from out there. I love it, of course, when periodically somebody says to me, great sermon today, Pastor Steve, really, really enjoyed it. And my standard way of responding to that is, well, thank you for listening because if you're not listening, I'm not preaching. Right? It's all over. We'll close the doors. It takes preaching and listening to make gain in our souls. And so I think Calvin was onto something. He said we got to make part of that mark, that first mark, is also people who come with hearts hungry for the word, like in Acts two forty-two, and they devote the people devoted themselves to what was first on their list, to the apostles' doctrine. Like the apostles put the doctrine in the trough. And all the sheep came to eat the food out of the trough. They all came, bah, do sheep bow when they're hungry? I don't know. That's what I'm making that part up. It's what they did. So the first mark of a faithful church, nobody disagrees. It's the faithful ministry of the word of God. Now, Cornerstone, community, church, people, we want you to have this as your conviction. I'm not just here to tell you this is my conviction. I'm shaping. I'm forming. We're aligning. We want to be unified around this. What is the most important thing to us in Cornerstone Church? Well, it might be like the presence of Christ. But if we're making a list of marks of a church, identifiable marks, what's first on our list, on your list? It is, well, I must have a faithful ministry of the word of God. Hope you would all answer that. If I wake you up at 2 a.m., I'm going to call you at 2 a.m. tonight, every one of you. One big group call. All right, people, tell me, what, what must you have in a church? And I want you all to say, uh, uh, faithful ministry of the Word. If your job moves you to Boca Raton, what's first on your list? Is there a faithful ministry of the Word? We want you to want that. We want you to demand that. If you ever see, if, if all six of your present pastors die in a car crash tomorrow, I don't know how that would have, We're never in the car together. Anyway, and you got to pick new pastors, you, you demand that. we got to have a ministry of the Word. You want your wife constantly sitting under a faithful ministry of the Word, Pastor Steve, I don't see your wife here today. She wasn't here in the first service either. What's going on? Practice what you preach. Where's your wife? Well, one of our granddaughters is getting baptized in another church today. And, oh, and my wife's up there watching it happen. And I would have gone too, but I kind of had a job to do here, supposed to preach the word. You want your wife, you want your children, you want your grandchildren constantly sitting under the Word. I'm looking for a church where I want to take my children, where do I most want them to be? In a church that has front and center a faithful, expository ministry of the Word of God. This is non-negotiable, I must have it. We want this to be your conviction so it's our conviction and it'll be your conviction 30 years from now until Jesus comes. Amen? Amen. Why is that a mark? because we find it in the Word of God. So the second mark is the observance of the ordinances, much shorter on this one, take heart. Also known as the sacraments, if you're more highfalutin and more high churchy, we're Baptists, typically not high church. We love the simple word ordinances, meaning things that Christ has ordained. How many of them are there and what are they? They, you You know what they are. They are baptism and what? And the Lord's Supper. Baptism and communion. Let's read the two passages, there are many, but let's read like two, maybe the main ones where these are ordained by Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen: Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, this is the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we're Trinitarian teaching them, there's your front and center pulpit teaching ministry, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But what was the ordinance there? Baptizing them. When you get a convert, when you've led somebody to believe on the Lord Jesus, and now they're saved and born again, and they're a new creature in Christ, and the angels in heavens are rejoicing, and what's one of the first things you do with them? You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is ordained by Christ. We're supposed to be baptizing people. I'll let you know, we have a baptism coming up in a few weeks on, in, in both services, I assume. I don't know that yet. But then I also know that we're, we're letting another church use our building that day, since the pool's full already. We're letting another church use our building. I'm going to try and sneak in here and observe it. And they're baptizing somebody in our pool that day too. Cool. Two for the price of one pool filling, huh? It's good math. The Lord has ordained this. And also communion, Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. Now, as they were eating, this is the last Passover and the first communion. Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom, Matthew twenty six, twenty six through 29. The second mark of the church is those two things. Baptism of believers, we would say, our Presbyterian friends baptize infants we don't we don't go there we differ with them on that we count them as brothers and sisters in Christ we differ on that but baptism and and communion now i'm telling you the truth when i say this i'm not a grumpy person i'm telling you the truth he who says very often i'm not a grumpy person is probably a grumpy person <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth that in our day, in some, I think I could even say in many churches, communion is very rarely administered or has actually been removed from the worship services because it will not appeal to seekers. That's a fact. Just many places, like in the name of the gospel, in the name of evangelism, forgot there's ecclesiology too, and Christ, the head of the church, tells us to do some things when we gather. And one of the things he wants us doing regularly is communing around the Lord's table, Calvin would have said, that's not a church. Luther would have said, that's not a church. Niamh Marx would would say, that's not a healthy church. Where there's no communion, it's not a church, according to the Word of God. The ordinance of baptism and communion are sure and certain marks of a true church. We want you to have that as your conviction. We want you to want it and demand it. If you've... If you move to Boca, one of your questions will be, well, do you observe the ordinances? If you're more highfalutin, do you have the sacraments? Do you ever baptize people? Do you have communion? I'd want to know, frankly, how often do you have communion? Now, listen, there's no specific frequency uh, commanded in Scripture for communion. The, The Lord Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it. So I have no problem with a church who does this less than weekly. I have a problem with a church who doesn't do this. I'd have a problem with a church that only does it once or twice a year, frankly. And, and personally, I'm thankful we have it weekly. Amen? Just love it. Just, you're going to have a fight if you try to take away our weekly communion. We just love Even though the wafer tastes like styrofoam, Still, bless the Lord. I, I was at another church on vacation recently, and their wafer was wonderful, and and even the drink in it was wonderful. And I came home and talked to Brittany, our our church administrator, and said, Brittany, can we get these? And she showed me the price, and we decided we both made a unilateral. No, <laughs> sorry, you get you get the less expensive styrofoam wafers wafers. But it's not it's not the taste, right? It's the remembrance. And we like having that weekly remembrance. That's the second mark of a church is the the ordinances. What's the third mark of the church? Well, just about everybody's list said that's church discipline. Now, I do remember we had a whole sermon on that last week, so I'm not going to preach that again. But why, why is that a mark? And here's what people have said, one person, because without church discipline, the church will not be holy. We're to be holy. We're to be set apart to Christ. We're to be not like the world. We're to be an unleavened lump. We're to offer up pure worship to the Lord. Another one wrote, why why should um, church discipline be on the list? Why should it be a mark? Another one wrote, because if flagrant heresy or scandalous sin is tolerated in the church, you'll soon have no church at all. I'll add, or you'll at least have a very sick church. Sadly, again, I'm going to be, grump, I'll be grumpy, Steve. Y'all want to see some more grumpy Steve? I'll be grumpy, Steve. Sadly, the church, in the church of our day, church discipline, this is absolutely true. Nobody's making this up. It's just about entirely absent. Don't take it from me. You take it from Albert Moeller. Who's Albert Moeller? He's the president of Southern Seminary the flagship seminary of the Southern Baptist denomination, which is America's largest Protestant denomination. Uh, He's no small guy. He's absolutely brilliant. He's a polymath, if you know what that means. He's an expert in anything. Ask him about anything, he's an expert in it. He's just an incredible guy. Albert Moeller wrote an article, and I read it this week. Its title is Church Discipline, colon, The Missing Mark. Here's a quote from it. I'll put it up because it's easier for you to follow if you can see it as well. Albert Moeller says, the decline of church discipline is perhaps the most visible failure of the contemporary church. The absence of church discipline is no longer remarkable. It is generally not even noticed. Like nobody even remarks about it because they don't even notice. Church discipline is, to many church members, no longer even a meaningful category or even a memory. The present generation of both ministers and church members is virtually without experience of biblical church discipline. Fearing lawsuits and lacking courage, these churches allow sin to go unconfronted and heresy to grow unchecked. That's Albert Moeller. One of the best minds we have in a church in our day. Go back before him, but stay Baptist with me, if you will. Back in the 1800s, one of the greatest Baptist theologians was a man by the name of John Dagg. I read his book titled *A Manual of Church Order, and in it, he says, quote, it has been remarked that when discipline leaves a church, Christ goes with it, end quote, John Dagg. You can find that from the seven churches of Asia Minor in the early chapters of the book of Revelation, and Christ says, you know what? You make me want to spew you out of my mouth. Christ is leaving the church so the reformation said look we want to we want to fix the church we want to reform the church and the church needs reforming in our day and in every day it's reforming and always reforming semper reformata always reforming because it's always going corrupt and you you always need to apply the word of God and fix it again. And they said, what should we reform? What should we do? What are the main marks? And it's gonna be at the centrality of the church's experience. It's gonna be a faithful ministry, a faithful proclamation of the word of God and Calvin adds, and people who love to have it so. People who demand it, people who want it, people whose faces say, right here, pastor, I'm listening, and some of your faces do that. That was their first mark. And their second mark was the observance of the ordinances, baptism and communion. And their third mark was the practice of church discipline so that we would be a holy lump, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I think it is. So let me review for you what this service, what this sermon series has covered. I don't have a slide for these. We said church is glorious, churches under authority, churches for fellowship, churches for God, believers and non-Christians, churches for serving, churches to be holy, churches identifiable. Now in closing, why have we had this series? Number one, in case you hadn't noticed, here's why, because we want to be a biblical church. And if we're going to be a biblical church, you have to be biblical church men and women. That's point number two, because we want you to be biblical church men and women. So we want to be a biblical church, so we want to shape biblical people who have biblical expectations and demands of their church. We want you to have the convictions and never let them go. You to have the convictions about here's what a church is supposed to be. Here's what I insist on. Here's what I'll look for. Here's what I demand. Here's what I want. Some of you young people, and you're like, what's Pastor Hartland up there blathering on about? What's he up there talking about? Who cares? We want you to care because you're the future of the church of Jesus Christ. And when some of us are lying, if you will, rotting in our graves, you'll be the ones who need to come in here and say, we demand a faithful exposition of the word of God. So you young people this is maybe, maybe mainly for you we're building ecclesiology. We're building biblical churchmen and biblical church women. We want you to possess a biblical ecclesiology. And finally, why are we doing this point three? Because we want unity in our ecclesiology. So we all want the same thing and believe the same thing and say the same thing and demand the same thing about what kind of church we're supposed to be. We want unity in our ecclesiology. We want unity and alignment in our church. Same mind, same voice, same commitments. So may it be that by the grace of God, this series has helped us to be a more unified church and to be better taught in what Christ as the head of the church teaches us through his apostles about how to do church together. Did it help you? Did it help? I pray it has. You're being nice. Thank you. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time and your holy word. And we do pray that we as a church would be a holy lump. We pray that you might use us to lead many, many, many to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we also pray that you would use us to build strong believers. And Lord, going forward and beyond my days, may, may this church continue to embrace these core Essential parts of what it means to be a local church. May this go on and on and on, if possible, Lord, till Jesus comes. We pray for the young people of this assembly. Will you give them receptive hearts and hearts that care? Will you give them minds that want to learn? Would you give them convictions about what kind of churchmen and churchwomen they want to be? So, Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. Have your way in us and with us. Use us for your honor and glory and purposes. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, with thanksgiving, amen.